This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Each of us contains an inner voice, a guide, a helper who speaks to us from a sacred space within. For most of us, this voice lies deep within the recesses of our mind, unnoticed, unheard, denied, and buried. This inner voice has gone by many names, and some who have managed to hear it have written about the wisdom they've received. In this episode, Valeria Tellis interviews Beth Gear, the author of Awakening to One Love. Uncover the inner peace and joy hidden within you. Beth shares her own inner journey with the inner voice and the profound messages she received. The messages are centered around the workbook lessons from a book called A Course in Miracles. They deal with our everyday individual problems and the world at large. Beth Gear's spiritual background is rich and diverse. She has had a multitude of psychic, paranormal, and deeply profound spiritual experiences throughout her life, beginning around the tender age of five years old. While raised Catholic, she has also practiced tarot reading for over 20 years, is a Reiki master, psychic, and medium. She is also a licensed pharmacist, currently working in the retail setting. Though her religious and spiritual background appears to be contradictory, it is this very contrast that has given her an unusual open-mindedness towards God and life. And now, something extraordinary has begun to unfold. After spending over 10 years studying the enigmatic book, A Course in Miracles, she began to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit open up within her, unlocking a powerful message from Him that she is deeply compelled to share with all of us. She has compiled much of what she's learned in her highly acclaimed first book, Awakening to One Love, Uncover the Inner Peace and Joy Hidden Within You, and her deck of meditation cards, scribed from the Holy Spirit, titled Awakening Cards, 52 Divine Messages. Here is the interview with Beth Gear. In your own words, who is Beth Gear? Who is Beth Gear? Actually, I've come to see myself as a messenger. I found that what I have to share, my experiences, my internal connection with the divine that began at a very young age, I was five years old when I first made this connection, it's become who I am. I feel as though this person now is on this planet for this reason and I'm here to share. I'm here for sharing. Beth Gear is here to share in in unity with the world. <laughs> yeah, that's wonderful. Thank you. So before we talk about your book, Awakening to One Love, Uncover the Inner Peace and Joy Hidden 
within you. I have a few general questions. The first one is, what is another word for life? Life. Life is the essence of our being. Life is actually, to me, who we are. Life is also synonymous with love. It Mm -hmm. is that which gives us our self-awareness, that we're aware we have a personality, uh, an individual identity, and life is what gives us our our existence. It's what causes us Mm -hmm. to be. Right. What is the opposite of life? The opposite of life, to me, is to be in the complete darkness or unawareness of your spark, your light, your inner love. It is to feel completely separate and cut off and alone. And that's what we go through on this planet on a mass basis. (laughs) Coming Coming into a body causes you to feel separate and alone And I believe that it's our journey to journey back to that awareness. And for whatever reason we've come here, it's our purpose to realign our minds with life, with light, with our true self. Mm, Wow. What is the meaning of freedom to you? Freedom is the same thing as life. The ego thinks that freedom is to venture off, strike out on your own, and do things your own way, which is kind of the story of the prodigal son. <laughs> it, it, it's actually a sense of, it's actually a form of isolation. Freedom is actually joining with that uh, life, your essence, and, and to join is actually to have the freedom of expression in every facet that exists in, in infinite possibilities. And to join with that, you're truly free because you're released from the fetters of this idea that you're alone, you've struck off on your own, you're in this singular body and you're separate from every other human being, which is actually the ego's view and the opposite of life and love and freedom. Right, wow. How interesting. That's quite the opposite. Freedom is going back to unity, not going away from it on your own, right? What is your greatest joy? The moment of my greatest bliss was when I had three experiences, three separate experiences where I actually left my body. And again, it it solidifies my notion that freedom isn't being here thinking we're separate but joining with the oneness that we truly are and that was a joy a bliss like no other and it was the awareness once I had completely left my body the awareness of all things which you think you're going to get swallowed up like a drop of water in the ocean and just disappear into it but I was also still aware of one thing I was still aware of myself experiencing this. So I was all things and one thing at the same time. And in that moment, or those few moments I had that I realized I never can lose anybody. It took away my fear of death, it took away my fear of losing a loved one, or never seeing someone again. And whenever that thought crosses my mind, or you have a situation where you might lose someone physically, I just remember, but they're still mine. They're still mine. (laughs) 
<laughs> there's still my <laughs> and I know there will be a time again where these bodies don't separate us and I will be able to interact with them however I want once again. Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah, this is interesting that you talk about losing the fear of death when you went through the experience of knowing the ultimate reality. But then you talk about um, that you're not afraid even of losing people you love because you could meet them again, see them again. It doesn't have to be in the body, right? No, exactly. In fact, the body separates us more than anything that we could possibly imagine. That, that idea that this physical barrier is between us. And when I had gone into the oneness, I had realized that everyone is mine all the time. <laughs> and the body really, truly separates us. And that when someone passes away, they're actually closer to us than they were when they were still in their form. And that just tremendously alleviated fear of death for me. Yeah, that makes sense. The only thing that comes to mind is the idea of separation again, because then if we continue to think or to believe that these people we loved, they are separate from who we are or, or that ultimate reality, God, then we are meeting them again as separate beings, isn't it? In a different reality, it could be without body, but it's still we still believe in separation then. It's as though you are aware of yourself and your personality, but you can also be aware of them. But you're also aware of the universal love that connects you, that you know you can't lose them. It's as though there's this dual awareness of love and identity and that it's all kind of one thing, but there's a connection that joins you that the second you think of them, you can be in their presence. It, it literally flows through all of us equally. I have a side story about, it's actually in my book, I don't remember what chapter it is, but it, it's where one of my children stimulated this, uh, and it triggered this conversation with the Holy Spirit later, where we were talking about death, and the Holy Spirit said, well, I'm going to go through a little exercise with you to explain how you shouldn't fear death and how it really is between you. And he said, I want you to close your eyes. And I did. And he said, and I want you to imagine you're holding someone you love. You're holding them very closely. Press your cheek against their cheek, your forehead against their forehead. Hug them as close as you can. And I said, okay, I'm doing this. I said, I'm imagining I've got both my children on my lap and I'm in the middle of them holding both my children cheek to cheek. And, you know, okay, now I'm waiting. And the Holy Spirit said, this right now, this state you're in, as close as you think you can possibly be to your children, this is as far away as you'll ever be from them. And it was just so inconceivable that that is as far away as you ever, ever, ever get because the body truly is a barrier. And when we cross over, you can be as close as you want with anyone you love and that there are no barriers and there are no possessive relationships and everything, everyone sees everyone as part of their one self that they absolutely adore and cherish. And it's just, I, like I said, the words fail me <laughs> to convey this state of mind because there's nothing here on earth to compare it to, you know? 
but it does explain a mother or a parent's ferocious defensiveness of their children. <laughs> when when I had my own child, the first time I gave birth, I realized this is how my mom loved me. No wonder why she would never let me do anything. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, right. you don't love your parents like you'd love your kids. <laughs> it's a different kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, that makes but, sense. I'm not a mother, but yeah, I can't. Yes. I'm able to imagine. Yeah. Yes. And, and, you know, people get that way about their pets. You know, anything you're taking care of, anything you consider part of your life, part of you, it's, it becomes this, uh, I don't know, you would, def- you'd give your life for it, you know, that relationship or that person or, or whatever it is that you feel close to. And that's as close as we can come here on earth to that sensation of love. So what it really means that they live in you, everyone, everything's in us. It's not separate. It was never separate in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, we just go back to that understanding, that wisdom. Um, oh, that reality, right? There's nothing, actually everything is not, it's not real, but that. Yeah. What do you think is the world's greatest need, this relative reality? The awareness of what I just spoke of, this underlying love. If everyone was truly aware of how we were interconnected by our creator, by the love that unites us, we would never harm another human being, knowing that we're harming ourselves. Uh, to give is truly to receive. What you do to another, you are truly doing to yourself. And whenever you find yourself in any kind of confrontation or negative feeling towards another human being, if you could only bring that to your awareness and, and just say to yourself, I know this is my ego. My ego is the thing in me that feels hate and fear. Um, belittled or or guilty or unfairly treated walk in the opposite direction of that emotion and do the opposite thing you want to do through your ego and i have witnessed so many times just in my own life the miracle of healing that happens when you walk in the opposite direction and you walk towards love and just say i know that this isn't our true relationship i know that in in truth our relationship is unified in love and that's our true relationship to one another when we're not in these bodies if you walk in the opposite direction and walk towards that and do the next loving thing <laughs> it works miracles it would heal the world of everything if people could remember that and do that one small thing and that's true yeah this is the work that you're doing trying to to get that message yes. you said yeah you use the right word i'm the messenger right messenger of love a messenger messenger of truth right yeah what is love to you how would you describe love in just one single word i can call it unity it is a sense of so close to something that you're one with it. And I, and again, I don't know what else to say about it, except it's being unified in spirit, in body, mind, and spirit. It's a, and not even body because the body isn't even, that is one thing that the Holy Spirit set straight with me is that bodies touching is not unity. You're still two separate bodies. The only way you can truly be one with someone is through the heart, through love, through connecting through your mind and emotions and and feeling. And so, yes, to me, love is that 
sense of unity. Mm -hmm. I love that, Beth. Yeah. What a beautiful description of definition of love. Uh, I think it's the first time I heard that. Thank you. Uh, when you say the Holy Spirit, you also mean, is that the same thing as God, the soul, the universe? Yes. So if you want to call, say the Holy Spirit is God or Jesus or source or creator, all of those things apply. Uh, I took on the word Holy Spirit because that's what I know to be in the Course in Miracles is described as the spokesperson for God or God's voice is the Holy Spirit, which is the part of God that connects us to him. And I only use him because I was raised Catholic and, all you know, the Course in Miracles uses the male pronoun. I'm just used to it. I, I don't think of God is any gender. I know that God, our creator, Holy Spirit, is above all form and gender. But I do say him and I do say Holy Spirit, but you can substitute any gender or name. And it's I'm referring to the same thing. It's the all pervasive power that created us. Yes. Yeah. So let's talk about your work. How did you become a writer? And why did you write a book titled Awakening to One Love? Well, looking back on my life, I've been a writer since I was about nine years old. <laughs> and that is when I started really exploring um, meditation and angels. I am probably the only teenager who had books on meditation and angels and everything mystical really interested me. So I started meditating. You know, the book intentionally was called Ask Your Angels. And I remember it was by Alma Daniels and Tim Wiley. I think they're both deceased now. But it was just this very simple book that described these uh, meditations for meditating with your angels. And you would write down messages from them. And I had reams of books, notebooks, probably a dozen, you know, spiral notebooks filled with their messages and writing. And When I went away to college, I was so afraid somebody would find them while I was away at college. So, you know, what if I died? <laughs> Or what if I get hit by a car and then they go through my room? Look at this crazy stuff she wrote down. Oh, my gosh. I, Valeria, I took them out into with a burning barrel. I just threw them all away and I burned them all. They're gone. I'm so upset with that, that, that 17, 18-year-old Beth <laughs> who did that because I'd love to look back on it now. But I was already collecting messages all my life. And finally, you know, I st went through every kind of self-help uh, spiritual book. I don't want to take up all our time telling the story how I stumbled across A Course in Miracles, but I stumbled across A Course in Miracles or It Found Me, which is usually the case for most people. It, it wanders into their life. And I read it cover to cover and realized I still don't know what this means. It says A Course in Miracles, and I'm, I think I failed the course because I'm not working <laughs> in miracles. I failed the course. And that inner voice that spoke to me that was an angel, that was a, a you know, I also did some work with deceased loved ones and, and speaking to people in the afterlife. And that same voice that would always communicate with me, which I now call the Holy Spirit, said, you know, you haven't failed the course. No one can fail my course. And you're not, you know, I'd also self-describe myself as the worst student ever. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he said, no, you're not the worst student ever. And no one can fail my course. Let me go through these lessons with you this time. 
and I'll explain each one to you. And so I took down what the Holy Spirit said. And as we went along, going through the lessons for the second time, we had tons of other conversations in and around the lessons and life asking soon after, you know, after a few chapters in, I realized I can ask anything I want. (laughs) I'm going to get an answer that I don't expect. And it was, it was this process that I realized was going to be a book. And I realized it was something that could help other students of the course and of life in general. You don't have to read A Course in Miracles to understand my book. It should be easy enough. And the way the Holy Spirit described it, he said, I want this to be as simple to understand as it would be as if you were presenting it to your own children, a child or a, you know, a teenager at least should be able to get this. And this is the level I want this written at. So I happily agreed because that's the level I needed. (laughs) That's exactly what I wanted. So it was the most amazing process, the unfolding of this. I literally sit at my laptop and not have a clue what I was going to type and it would just start flowing or I'd be at work. I am a pharmacist by trade, by the day, by as my day job. And things would come to me and I'd write it down on a scrap of paper and, and go home at night and it would be this beautifully laid out idea. And I had no idea that's even what was coming through. And I was quickly scribbling down, you know, shorthand notes and put it all together when I got home and just realized, oh my gosh, there's no way I, I came up with this on my own. There's no way. And it just, I just, when I thought I was going to have nothing left to say, each thing unfolded perfectly and always at the right time. Right. That is incredible. Yeah, I heard about it. And I have two copies in my house, actually. Oh, two copies of A Course in Miracles. Yes, I have like, probably five or six copies. I, I have one by my bed, one on my desk, one, on, one down by the couch, one in wow. my car. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So talk to me about it. A Course in Miracles. How was it written, the, the story behind the book? Yes. So Helen Shookman and Bill Thetford were renowned, very highly respected psychologists back in the early 70s. They were not just any psychologist, you know, I I believe they had their own level of fame. And Helen herself, as it says in the course, she was a self-described atheist and not religious. And her and Bill had a lot of conflict together. And finally, one day, Bill just said, there's got to be another way. We can't go on like this. And Helen suddenly was overcome with willingness. You know, the Holy Spirit opened up in her and she said, I'm going to help you find it. And it was over a period of some time, I think it was seven years, she uh, wrote The Course in Miracles as she heard this inner voice that sort of dictated it to her. And she could turn it on and off at at will. (laughs) And this beautiful work came out that when I read it, I didn't understand it the first time, but I knew it had importance. And I knew that when I read it, even though I didn't understand it, it made me feel better. And I was determined to find out why. And that's because the words as your ego lets down its guard, the meaning comes through clearer and clearer, the less guarded you are. And so my full guard, I just all I could get through was a vibe of love. And then as I went through it again with the Holy Spirit and had it explained, and now it's 
clear as a bell to me that I can't even understand how I didn't know what it meant before. <laughs> but Helen, Helen dictated this beautiful book and Bill became her partner in this and helped her type it all up and helped her put it all together. And he himself was a devout practitioner. You know, he went from being her mortal enemy to, I'm going to live this, what you're teaching here, what you're putting in this book. And he completed the course. He did everything he needed to do. And he awakened by the end of his life. And it was a beautiful process. He's got a beautiful story as well. And so, yeah, he and Helen put it together together with Jesus. That is amazing. That is so beautiful. I read something and I wrote here that it appeared as though Helen's mind was being prepared or healed enough to become a better receiver, quote unquote, for what Jesus was about to reveal to her. So this is very interesting to me. I have a question for you, maybe two. Uh, what is to be healed and how do we know when we are healed? Healing is the idea of our mind is no longer separate from God. Healing is the awareness of God's presence within you and within everybody else. And I know why I wrote that, because Helen uh, had dreams, vivid dreams, and some psychic experiences before she actually began the official dictation or the scribing of the course. She took it from within. And I had that same process myself. I went through a period of time where it's very, very psychic, and I was helping people with deceased loved ones, finding lost objects, making future predictions that came true. And that kind of stopped. It's still there, but I don't tap into that anymore because I know that's not what I'm here to do. It was just a phase of like exercising my inner muscles. And then I went into a phase where I started having these very highly symbolic, vivid spiritual dreams. And they left such an impact on my mind and heart emotionally when I'd wake up. And it was as though I'd actually been there or lived through what I just dreamt. And it was always very, very loving and had this feel of a divine touch to it. So at a total of 14 of them, I would have one every 10th night. Uh, the second time I was going through the course uh, with the Holy Spirit, I had one every 10th night in, uh, sorry, yeah, 14 of them. When you get to the second part of the lessons, there are 14 sections of 10 lessons each. And the night before the first lesson of each section, I would have a dream that pertained to the upcoming 10 lessons. And I wrote those all down. I haven't found a place for those yet in any kind of book or <laughs> any kind of published literature. <laughs> and and I still, they feel so personal that I, I don't know if they're meant to be shared with other people or not, but uh, because it pertained to my own path. But I recognized that when I put my book together, that Helen went through something similar. And it felt like your mind is getting prepared. And your ego is being slowly dismantled. And you're getting ready to receive this, this message. And her job was to, for me, and from my perspective, to take down the pure form and then the rest of us are here to help everyone else understand it. <laughs> so my book just helps you go deeper or take away the parts that might be more confusing to the course, as well as life in general. 
you know, the, the questions, how, how do I apply this to my life? How do I use this to heal my practical problems? Yeah. And it is very clear. I love the way you write. So speaking of receiving, becoming the receiver and being healed, um, in your book, you also wrote, each of us contains an inner voice, a guide, a helper who speaks to us from a sacred space within. And this is the voice that if we are open, we will listen to. You call inner voice. Is this the same as intuition, our intuition? Yes. So the best thing you can compare it to is intuition or inspiration. That thing that makes your heart go, yes, you just instantly know, yes, it's your inner yes. So intuition and inspiration are the very beginnings of that voice. We're all equipped to hear it. And we're all able to listen. And the whole point of Course in Miracles and my book, Awakening to One Love, is to wean you off of teaching or, or learning and you're able to go on your own guidance with your own inner guide that uh, you're not relying on outside anything. You're relying on yourself and you're able to navigate the world being guided by the inner voice. And that's the goal. Yes. I like that. Yeah, I was just going to expand that, that. Yes, that you're actually following that inner guide and not yourself or your ego, your you're 100% in a state of trust. And that's also called living in a state of grace, which is that state of total trust on that with all your trust placed on that inner voice that's guiding you through that, that inner intuition and inspiration. Right. How do we learn to listen to it? And how do we know the difference between listening to our inner voice, the intuition, inspiration, and our beliefs and our wishes and desires, or maybe our imagination? God's voice will always speak to you lovingly. Anything that's unloving is not God. And God is also, it even says in, and I'm going to quote The Course in Miracles, God is very quiet for there is no conflict in him. And so this inner voice will always be a voice that feels like peace. It feels like love. And you will never be guided into fear. Um, so people will say, well, do I take this job or marry this person or divorce this person or move from here to there? There's all these questions. What should I do? What should I do? Do the thing that will bring you the most peace. Do the thing that love guides you to do. What is the most loving thing? Because a lot of times we're cut off and we can't feel that love. So then you actually have to think what would be the most loving thing to do? Do that. <laughs> if you're not sure, if you're not sure you're listening to your inner voice and gradually you'll get better and better at it. And the second you feel off your center or the second you feel not at peace, you'll realize, oh, I'm not listening to my inner voice. And like for me, I'll just instantly say, I don't want this. I want to feel at peace. Come back. You know, basically, I want to come back to my center and place God in front again. And you just practice doing that all day long. You just become very aware of your inner state. And when you're not at peace, you know, you're, you've cut yourself off from the voice of God within you. 
whether you call him Jesus or the Holy Spirit or Mother Mary, <laughs> whatever you're comfortable with, and realign with that. And it just has to be that simple thought, I want to be aligned with you. I don't want to feel this way. The second you choose that, God comes rushing into your heart and will rescue you every time and help you navigate your problems, navigate this place we find ourselves in temporarily and get through your fears. Yes. Yeah. So in a way, it's the opposite of yes. fear. Yes. Yeah. Anything that comes from fear, then it's, it's a, a sign. sign. Yeah, we are yep, not listening. It's a sign. You're listening to the ego. So really, for me, each day has just become one long meditative process of staying aligned. <laughs> and you can't beat yourself up the second you become out of your alignment, the second you're off of your peace, that it's just like a child falling down. Yes, it's frustrating, but you can't be angry or upset. You just have to forgive and say, I'm, I'm, I'm back again, I'm going to pop up and keep standing up every time I fall, you know, perseverance. And after a while, it becomes extremely natural very natural and you very rarely slip off of your center your peaceful center yeah i'll be asking you questions about forgiveness in a minute before that so i'm wondering why so many people choose not to listen to their voice um, you talk about that they choose to block their inner voice why do they do it and how do we learn to unblock it Okay, so it's the same reason when someone is angry with us, we get angry back, we get defensive. So in our larger sense, as a collective group of people, we somehow feel as though God is angry with us for having separated into these bodies. We somehow, we're filled with fear. And we're filled with this fear, and it causes us to choose this path because it's all we've ever known. We're born into a world of fear. We're raised as a body. We're not um, taught that we're a spirit or that we're pure love. Um, you're this person with this face and this gender, and all these things are assigned to us. And people try to bust out of that mold. You can you can see it in society as we have more and more, um, you know, we have transgender and all these things are becoming more and more acceptable as we slowly climb out of our mold. But it goes even beyond any body assignment, anything you think you should be within a body, your gender or your orientation or your eye color. Um, none of those things matter when we're not in our bodies. And the idea is to, to transcend that and live as though we're spirit here while we're still on this plane of existence and realize everyone else is equally made out of the same amount of love that you are, and that we're equal in love and light. And these differences we see in the body are non-existent when we're not in this reality. And I think I lost track of what the question was. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. It's um, why do we choose not to oh, listen yes, to that voice? Yes, the trust, yes, right? The yes, trust. The trust. And so we're, we're filled with fear. And since fear is all we've ever known, we have a hard time thinking a new thought. It's difficult to give up our thoughts of fear, our thoughts of our identity with this world and our relationship with it. 
And so to think of ourselves as a being of love and light, so many people reject that because they feel guilty. They think I'm not worthy. There's no way that I'm this magnificent being who's capable of healing the world. (laughs) How many people would think that was arrogant when it's actually arrogance to deny it, to deny what God gave you to heal the world with. It's more arrogant to deny the power of God within you than it is to say, I'm just this measly person and I'm worthless. That is actually arrogance. To say that you can be less than what God created you as, which is this powerful being of love and light. We're just simply afraid to live up to that. We're afraid we can't and that we won't be able to. But God says we can and we will and we're going to do it. (laughs) It's hard to turn that around. Yes. Yeah, the illusion of um, perfectionism, looking for perfection in in this experience in the human body, right, in this reality. Um, And then you also, you speak of inner peace and that the voice, it's easier to listen to it when we are in a state of inner peace. So I guess my question is, how do we learn to be in this state of inner peace? What are the methods? Do you have, do you find some methods to be more effective than others? And what are they? Yes. The, one of the first things I do, you know, what I, I, did, I would stumble upon it, you know, I would be folding laundry or I'd be driving or I'd be mowing the lawn or vacuuming, doing these mundane tasks and my mind would be disengaged. And those are the moments the Holy Spirit would jump in and say, okay, this is what you were thinking about earlier. This is what my answer to that is. So my, some of my conversations, even though they're all together on paper, the timing was disjointed for my question and the answer, because the Holy Spirit would have to wait for me to be at a state of peace so that he could get through my mind. And so now I have honed in on it as simply telling myself that this reality is not my home. My problems are not the problems I think I have. And then I go deeper and I say, I don't have any idea who I am. I don't know who anyone else is in relation to me. These problems don't exist when we're not in these bodies. And then next thing I know, I'm in my center and I'm in this space of peace. And, and it's it, and literally with my eyes closed, I will see light in this space. Even though my eyelids are closed, it's almost like, I I can't describe it. It's like there's a flashlight shining right in my mind. (laughs) And I can sit down and from that space, I can start typing my messages that I I have a, a newsletter that I put out every month with the latest or what I have collected from the Holy Spirit. I've gone beyond I'm already into 2021, like spacing them out each month. <laughs> so they're, they're already future written. <laughs> but you move into this space of peace through basically overlooking everything the ego wants you to be distracted with. Everything that throws you off your peace is an ego distraction trying to keep you from your peace. All you literally have to say is, Is it worth my peace to hold on to this? Which is more important, holding on to this negative or dark thought or my peace? And you just have to say, my peace is worth it. I'm, it's not worth giving it up for this. This situation isn't worth it because it's a temporary thing. And 
it's a way of letting go of all the little things that happen to us throughout the day that tug at our mind. And it's just an endless parade of issues that can come up on a daily basis with, you know, just go to work or driving somewhere. I mean, things come up just being in the world and, you know, you read something or see something and it triggers you. And the second you feel that trigger, move back into that center and just remember that this is not our true situation. And you move back into that center of peace and keep practicing that. And, you know, you're going to become fluent in Christ mindedness, (laughs) fluent in God talk. (laughs) (laughs) I love that healing, which again, is that sense of unity, that sense of um, oneness with our creator that you're aware of on a conscious basis. And you can bring your consciousness, your conscious awareness to this at any given moment and regain your peace. Yeah, I like the way you talk about this as a practice and i also like the way you describe as an inner conversation it's almost like an affirmation that this uh this is not the reality that your spirit belong and yeah that's almost like affirmations i expected you to say meditation i know at at an early age you practiced meditation also prayer this is my next question how is meditation different from prayer? Meditation is not asking for anything. Most people, when they pray, are asking for something. They're petitioning God. And even in A Course in Miracles, if you read the Song of Prayer, it talks how true prayer is not to petition to God for anything. It's to be aware that you already have and are everything True prayer is communion with God, the giving and receiving of his love, the exchange, this holy and sacred exchange of love. And again, we come back to unity. And so when I meditate, that's what I'm focusing on is just sitting in the arms of God, just uh, being immersed in God's love, this giving and, and receiving this deep, deep, deep gratitude for my beingness. And meditation could also just be called a state of deep gratitude to our creator for being created. And our true state of peace with one another and God. And it it removes all the layers of all the other things in the world that the world tries to cover it with. And so prayer, for most people is a, a petition to God. Meditation is giving God praise or giving God worship or giving God our love in exchange for his. It's different, but at the same time, it's the same um, in a way. Yeah, same thing. Yes, yes. The, The deepest prayer is to simply be grateful and to be grateful that whatever it is you wish was different actually isn't the truth. You know, our ego is constantly wishing for this to be different or that to be different or heal this person's body or, or get me this other job, or I wish I had more money, or I wasn't overweight, or I wasn't addicted to this or that. You know, we're always trying to fix all these problems. And the deepest form of prayer is to simply be grateful that you share love with God. And when you open yourself up with that level of prayer, where you're not asking for anything, you're being grateful 
for your beingness, not even grateful for anything you have on this planet, but just grateful that you're able to share God's love with God. That level of prayer opens the door for the most magnificent miracles that does heal bodies, that does change your life, that does shift your outer situation in ways that you would have never have dreamed of because now you're letting God do it. You're not telling him what to do. You're saying it's already done and I don't even care how you do it. I'm letting you be in charge. And when you ask for things in the form of a prayer, you're dictating to God what he should do for you. (laughs) But when you meditate or prayerfully meditate as a prayer of gratitude, you're letting God work his miracles in his own way, in his own time as the leader. And you step down as the dictator and you become the follower. And now you're really getting things done. (laughs) Now you're really praying. Yeah, how wonderful. Yeah, that's the most um, amazing state of mind yeah, to experience gratitude. Yeah, I agree. So we are almost at the end of our conversation, and I have so many questions for you here. <laughs> Not enough time for this episode, but the next yes. one. So I'll be asking you my last questions. They are somewhat unrelated to the subject, yes. but maybe not. First one is about unconditional self-love. Do you believe in unconditional self-love? And would that be also part of this uh, unity with God? Absolutely. Uh, One of the very first things I ever understood about God was that he loves us without condition, which means no conditions. (laughs) It doesn't matter what we say or do or think we are loved. That never goes away because we literally are sustained by God's love. And if that were ever to stop, we would cease to exist. But that's not God's will because we're part of God. And should we cease to exist, a part of God would cease to exist. Mm -hmm. So unconditional love means we are held in love forever, regardless of what mistakes we think we've made. It it doesn't matter because in the world of form, it's a temporary existence that the Course in Miracles calls an illusion. I, I think of it as an illusion in the sense that a play or a movie isn't real. Yes, there are people acting on stage, they're playing parts, they're being murdered, they're being, you know, all these things are happening to them. But at the end of the day, they all go home to their families and they're fine. That's like our lives here. It's an illusion in the sense that, yes, things are happening to us. That's, there's no doubt. We can't be, can't be weird about it. Stuff is happening to us. And a lot of it we don't like. And we're, we are against much of it, especially violence and, and things like that. But at the end of the day, we go home to God when we pass away from here. And he says, I know you didn't know what you, know, what you were doing. I know that this isn't you. And you are actually this being of light and love. And I've been waiting for you to remember your true identity this whole time. (laughs) So yes, unconditional love is the only kind of love there is in my book. Yes, in my mind. If you knew you would die soon, in the sense of losing the body, would you make any change in your life? Absolutely none. Nope. It can happen right now. That's amazing. Yeah, Yeah, thank you. How beautiful. What are three things about life you know for sure as of this moment? 
as of this moment, I know for sure, again, I, I feel like a broken record, but I know, I know beyond a doubt that we are loved by God. I know beyond a doubt that we are beings created out of his love and therefore we are perfect and healed and whole this very moment. And if we could awaken to that, everything about a reality would shift. I know beyond a doubt that we all are part of this one love and that it is a situation where nobody is going to be left behind. Nobody is excluded and that there will come a time where this reality will shift from what it is now to heaven. And it will happen because we have made the choice to shift into a state of love instead of the ego state of fear and separation. And I know this will happen. I don't know a time frame wise because it isn't a, uh, it's an eternal thing. And this shift will happen. And I know beyond a doubt that there is a God. And it doesn't bother me if someone tells me they're an atheist, because I know that regardless of what we believe, it's still true. <laughs> it doesn't matter. You don't have to believe in it. You don't have to even think I'm right. It's okay, because I'm not worried about any of us. We're going to be just fine. We're going to be just fine, no matter what. Yeah. How wonderful. Thank you so much Thank you. Yeah, for your words and for this enlightening conversation. Really beautiful. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, Valeria. Yes. Where can we find more information about you, your books, work, services, and future projects? I have everything on my website, and that is at awakeningtoonelove.com. But the word two is actually the number two, so it's the word awakening the number two, and then onelove.com. And or if you Google Beth gear, you'll it'll come up too. And I've got my book on there, you can buy through Amazon, I have a link there, I have a deck of meditation cards, that are beautifully, beautifully ordained with artwork from Kenneth Laugen. He's a Norwegian artist from Norway, which is another in interesting story how he came into my life to, to give me these beautiful paintings to put with my words. And they're meditation cards for keeping you centered on your peace. I also have my monthly newsletter, which is completely free. Um, I, I just feel like that should be something accessible to every person. I don't charge anything for that. And I also post on there, this podcast will be posted on there. I have an events page where if I do any social activities, I post links to them all through my website on my events page. So yeah, it's all in one spot. Thank you so much again. Thank Beth. you. Blair. And we'll talk Sounds soon. Wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Bye for now. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Beth Gear, please visit her website, awakeningtoonelove.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. 
Thank you again for listening and bye for now.